This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. We will do commendations momentarily. In addition to my superstar status, I am uh, probably the best football handicapper in the country, despite knowing very little about football. That's right. If you are just tuning in, I won our season's football pool for the whole season. Oh, going away, I won it. Not even close. And Which I think this shows... That how little expertise matters in making predictions, whether we're talking stocks, whether we're talking politics, or whether we're talking football. You really don't need to be an expert as long as, you know, you have a fair shake at making the same picks anybody else did. Because, again, I didn't win by a lot, a little. I won by a healthy margin. So... If you need to know who's going to win, hopefully I can replicate this in the playoffs as well, where the football pool will continue. So we'll see. All right. Um, we're going to do commendations momentarily. I see a few people holding. I will get to you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything that we've talked about thus far, I mentioned that Saturday at high noon, uh, we had uh, an appointment. I had an appointment for Carmine to get his haircut. Last two haircuts did not go well. He cried both times. And he seemed to, the only thing he seemed to really enjoy about the previous two occasions was he got a lollipop at the end. So I kept telling him, you know, okay, we're going to go haircut Saturday, haircut Saturday, haircut tomorrow, haircut later today. And every time he would say lollipop, lollipop, because he does, I guess that's the good thing, he does associate the haircut process with getting a lollipop. So we park. Saturday, and I didn't bring my wife because when my wife's around, sometimes he gets a little clingy to her and says, Mommy, hold you. I said, Better off that she stays home. And I, I just brought him. We park a block or two away from the barbershop. We start walking to the barbershop. He's holding my hand. We walk into the barbershop. I take off his jacket, and he's nervous. He turns to me, and this is a very independent minded kid. Turns to me and says, Daddy, like, like, say something, do something, Daddy. And uh, I said, oh, it's okay, bud. It's okay. And so I pick him up. When I pick him up, he clings to me like a monkey, almost. Like, you know, almost like a, he puts his head on my shoulder and is gripping me so tight that he didn't want to be separated. Which he never does. He likes to usually be on his own, running around, you know, and he's clinging to me, not saying a word, not crying, just clinging, and he's got his head on my shoulder. So much so that when I get to our barber, because we use the same barber, Lou, or, or Pop, they call him, when we get to there, I, Pop says to me, is he asleep? Because he had his head on my shoulder like he was asleep. I said, nope. 
He's going to be very brave. And so I got in the barber, uh, the chair first. I put a smock around me, and then he sat on my lap. They put another smock around him. And I have to tell you, he did not cry at all. Now, Pop, who's given, I, I guess, 50 or 60 years worth of haircuts in his day, he was very smart. He knows Carmine likes buttons. He had him press the button for the buzzer, which Carmine liked. And he sat there the whole time, didn't say a word, which is very rare because he's usually so talkative, but he didn't cry. He just sat there. And he let me move him when I had to move him, and uh, we would spin around and do things. He was incredibly well-behaved. So this was, you know, the first two haircuts, he did not have much hair removed because it was just such a scene. This one was a full-blown haircut. I'll, I'll share up. A photo on my uh, Instagram at Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. But um, he was he was terrific. He was nervous, I think a little scared, but he did not cry at all. So then we're winding down. I'm saying, oh, you know, you're almost done, pal. And then he says, lollipop, lollipop. And they gave him a lollipop, which he enjoyed. Had me open one right up for him. And he's uh, taking the lollipop out. And we walk out. And I kept forgetting things. First, I forgot my sunglasses, then my wallet, then uh, his milk, because we brought his milk in case he needed milk. I had to keep going back. So finally, we have everything. We walk out, and uh, I said, buddy, that was great. You did wonderful. Very proud of you. And he says to me um, instantly, as soon as we're walking out of the barbershop, he says to me, I'm handsome now. And I said, yeah, buddy, you you, you were handsome already before, but you look even better now. So uh, it went, it could not have gone better. I don't think. So uh, hopefully that means no more haircut drama in the future. And you know what? I don't know uh, if not for anti-nepotism laws, Carmine would be on the receiving end of one of this week's The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Let me begin by commending the most punctual airport in the world, Minneapolis-St. Paul in Minnesota. According to new data from the aviation analytics company Sirium, they compiled data to determine the most on-time airlines of 2023, and they looked at airports as well. As far as airports goes, Minneapolis-St. Paul, MSP in Minnesota, is by far the most reliable and the most punctual, not just in the United States, but in the world. I mean, that's something to be proud of. MSP Airport, I do commend you. All right, I want to commend Patrick Koenig. Some of you might have seen these this story in the Wall Street Journal. I don't even know if this is commendable, but I think it is. I, I think it's cool, so I'm giving him a commendation. Hey, um, between... January 3rd, 2023, and January 2nd of 2024, 44-year-old Patrick Koenig, a photographer from Laguna Beach, California, played, you ready for this? 580 rounds of golf on 580 different 18-hole courses across the United States with a brief swing into Europe. 
traversing the country in an RV, playing with friends, strangers, and sometimes alone, Koenig wound up crushing the existing world record for rounds of golf played at different courses in one year. So to break the mark, no course could be repeated. He played roughly half public courses, half private. He played under blue Florida skies, and he played in sideways rain in Oregon. He played in the midnight sun on a summer trip to Finland, and he played everywhere you can play. I mean, this is incredible. The guy played 580 rounds of golf on 580 different courses in one year. Uh, Do you know the amount of determination that that takes? That means at one point the guy was probably sick. Maybe he had the flu. Maybe he had a sore wrist. And the guy went out and played 18 holes of golf. This is extraordinary. So, uh, Mr. Patrick Koenig, I do commend you. I must also commend the Burger King employee, Kevin Ford. This is someone I also think is similarly admirable. Kevin Ford works at Burger King. He did not miss a day of work for 27 years. And he went viral on TikTok for not having missed a day of work in 27 years. And after he went viral, they uh, he shared the gifts he received after 27 years of work for Burger King, which included a movie ticket, a Starbucks cup, a set of uh, a bag of Reese's Pieces, two packs of Lifesavers, two pens, a lanyard, and two keychains. Well, after the video went viral, with many criticizing the gifts, Ford's daughter launched a GoFundMe campaign which has raised nearly $440,000 as a result of the generosity from thousands of anonymous donors. Mr. Ford has been able to use a portion of the donations to buy his first home. And look, I I don't love encouraging digital begging, but this is, I just love this story. Here's a guy that toiled away in anonymity for 27 years, just doing his job, doing his job well, doing his job reliably, and he didn't do it to get famous, he didn't do it to get wealthy, but now he's both famous and wealthy. And I just think it's a wonderful testament to, I don't know, hard work and work ethic in general. I I love this guy, and I'm glad he's getting a new house, and uh, kudos to not only Mr., Mr. Ford, but to all the people that donated to his GoFundMe. I think it's a great thing. I want to commend uh, Shelly Romo. Uh, Shelly Romo is a um, jewelry store owner in Maui. And she spent hours in the rubble in the aftermath of those wildfires there trying to find her wedding ring back in August. And after retrieving it and getting it restored... She says she never takes her ring off. So after hours in the rubble with volunteers, it um, it appears that she actually she doesn't own the jewelry store. Pardon me. I, I misread my own notes here. So after hours in the rubble with volunteers, it looked like the diamond of her ring was unscathed, but the band was completely tarnished. So, 
she and her husband went straight to Noka Oi, not Noka Oi Jewelers, a local business that's been restoring fire damaged jewelry free of charge. That's exactly what they did for Shelly Romo. And so the owner of Noka Oi is Ami Chamdi, and he was moved by jewelers who restored damaged, you know, items damaged from the 2018 wildfires in Paradise, California. So now that's what that's what he does. So I am uh, giving a commendation to Omi Chamdi and Noka Oi Jewelry Stores who are restoring jewelry damaged for free by the wildfires. For free. I think that's great. I want to commend Aspirin. A new study shows that Aspirin, which is a long-established and widely used medication with a rich history, in addition to its well-known uses, it is reducing the mortality and the metastatic cancer spread by 21%. In November of last year, researchers from Cardiff University in the UK published a comprehensive review in the British Journal of Cancer, outlining aspirin's potential to reduce cancer mortality, prevent metastatic cancer, and minimize vascular complications. The review encompassed both favorable and unfavorable evidence thoroughly by analyzing the rationale behind using aspirin in cancer treatment. And the study compiled results from 118 observational studies involving approximately 1 million cancer patients. And it revealed that daily intake of low-dose aspirin was associated with a 21% reduction in all-cause mentality. A study involving pancreatic cancer patients undergoing surgery indicated that patients who took aspirin had a three-year survival rate of 61.1% compared to, 60, compared to 26.3% for those who did not take it. So the primary mechanism of action for aspirin is the inhibition of what they call the COX enzyme, the COX enzyme. COX is responsible for forming these uh, pathways for cancer signaling. But the anti-cancer effects of aspirin extend beyond that. A lot of other research has revealed that aspirin's mechanisms of anti-cancer action also involve energy metabolism associated with cancer cell proliferation. So I think this is great news for aspirin. I want to commend all of the Golden Globe winners last night. I don't know that I'm going to have an opportunity to talk about the Golden Globes. I hope we do. But um, there was a lot of great uh, artists that were honored. I have not seen most of the films, but uh, The Holdovers was a big winner. Oppenheimer was a big winner. Beef was a big winner. The, 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 the Crown was a big winner. Succession, The Bear, um, Ricky Gervais won in this new category of best stand-up comedy. Anatomy of a Fall won a lot of uh, awards. And um, nothing for Barbie, actually. I was a little surprised, which may bode well for the Oscars because usually the Oscars likes to go the, uh, whatever the other opposite direction of where the Golden Globes goes. This is the first Golden Globes that I'm aware of, I think ever, that was not put on by the Hollywood Foreign Press. The Hollywood Foreign Press has a little bit of a scandal, and they had to disband, and they reopened as a for-profit entity. And so this 
award show was produced by uh, Dick Clark Productions. And I think they did a pretty good job, I must say. Uh, so even though I didn't see most of the films, I thought the I think it's an impressive thing to win a Golden Globe. All right, I want to commend Glynis Johns. This is a posthumous commendation. She has passed away at the age of 100. She was a British actress best known as the suffragette mom in Mary Poppins. She was not only great in that role, but she uh, she had a lot of other terrific roles over the years. But she performed opposite Laurence Olivier, Robert Mitchum, Jackie Gleason, Danny Kaye. She was in The Court Jester, but I think she'll always be best remembered for her very memorable role in Mary Poppins. So, uh, Glynis Johns, we wish you the best. I want to give a commendation to the plant-based diet women who switch to vegan diets see their libido levels increase by up to 383%. That's the word from Stanford University researchers. So, these participants, they took 22 sets of identical twins. And they had one of them adopt a plant-based diet and one of them not. And the participants underwent a variety of scientific experiments to explore how certain foods can impact the body. And with two sets of female twins having their libido levels measured by watching pornography. And it's a little complicated how they measured this, but they found far and away a woman's sex drive goes up 380% after a switch to a vegan diet. I don't have to tell you, but as soon as I saw this, I threw out all the cheese and milk in our house. And eggs. Gone. Replacing it with uh, eggplant and Brussels sprouts. Boom. Uh, And then, penultimately, I want to commend Chef Falatu Abdul Razak of Northern Ghana. He is in the midst of breaking and it looks like he's going to be successful, the Guinness World Record for marathon cooking. And he is going to be cooking. He has already, at this point, cooked for 110 hours straight. And she is aiming to break the Guinness World Record. At this point, she may have already broken it. 119 hours and 57 minutes that was held by the Irish chef, Alan Fisher. So this is a great thing for Ghana, and it's a real great way to put Ghana on the map in terms of a culinary powerhouse. But what an amazing thing to just do anything for 119 straight hours, let alone cook. I mean, I I find this a remarkable feat of physical endurance. I don't know how good the food is, but even if it's terrible, just to stand there, cook for 119 hours, wow. And finally, I want to commend North Dakota. North Dakota has been named the best state in the entire country to start a business, according to Forbes. Forbes analyzed 18 metrics across five different categories, such as business costs, business climate, economy, financial accessibility, and workforce in each state. And North Carolina did well. South Dakota did well. Arkansas did well, Indiana did well, but number one in the whole country, North Dakota. So if you're looking to start a business, head on over to North Dakota. Certainly, New York's not the place for you, you, I'll tell you that. All right, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222, your call straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is 1984 by Van Halen. Very kind of a spaced out, uh, spaced out song, but given some of the topics that we've covered today, seems relatively apropos. All right. Um, you know, it's funny. Did you see the story of this dog who chewed up $4,000 worth of cash? Have you seen this? So Cecil is the dog name, and he ate his family's $4,000 of cash. Seven-year-old dog named Cecil, belonging to a uh, Pennsylvania couple, ate four grand in cash off their counter. The couple had taken the money out of the bank for a home improvement project, and they set it on the counter before Cecil jumped up and ate it. Now... This this is a golden doodle. And his parents, Carrie and Clayton Law, they said they placed this envelope with the cash on their kitchen table. They were saving it for this home improvement project. And this is a dog that's pretty well behaved. He doesn't have a history of doing this kind of thing. And they didn't know what happened to the money. Then they found a corner of a $100 bill in his water bill, in his water bowl. So he apparently needed to wash down <laughs> the money he was eating. So uh, the couple recovered the cash turned lunch, but it was easier said than done. All but $500 of it. They had to wait and wait for Cecil to go to the bathroom and vomit. To get their cash back. And uh, this is just so gross. But again, I guess you're talking about $4,000. You have to do it. They sifted through Cecil's vomit and feces to recover as much of the money as possible. And, of course, it was gross and in pieces. It took them about three days to recover everything and then wash it, dry it, and tape it. I mean, it's basically like doing a jigsaw puzzle. So the puzzle process took hours, a lot of patience, because they had to keep waiting for him to go to the bathroom until they could get more pieces. So thankfully, the dog is doing well now. And aside from getting a little sick, it didn't really seem to phase him. 
So they were able to recover 3550 So they have around $400 in totally mutilated bills. They said they might frame some of those. But, uh, I mean, it's a lesson lesson for all of us. If you've got a dog or a pet, be careful what you put in front of them, especially money. Speaking of money, I, um, you know, I did this episode of the TV show Damages. My voice and Curtis Lee's voice are is in this episode of Damages back in 2009. Great episode, by the way. It's a great series. Everything except the last season. You could skip the last season if you haven't seen it. It's a very good show. Glenn Close. It's really just wonderful. And it takes place, you know... In New York. So Curtis and I were on the radio together in New York at the time. And the character is listening to a back and forth of Curtis and I arguing about it. Patty Hughes. So that was 2009. I still get residuals from that one appearance. Again, you blink and you miss. Actually, I'm not even on it. It's just my voice. But it's maybe 10 seconds of my voice. And Curtis's voice. And you... you Turn around and it's gone. It's you miss. So I've gotten paid since 2009. So every month, two months, I'll get these checks for $6, $5. And again, I don't get paid a lot. But it, there's just something so nice when you're not expecting it to get a check for $3, $4, $5 after taxes. And, you know, these checks... They're not large enough to merit a special trip to the bank. So generally what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll take them out of the the envelope and then I'll put them on the side. And then the next time I go to the bank for something else, I'll take my $4.38 check and I deposit it. So I come across, I was going through something in my office a day or two ago, and I come across a check. For $6.13. Great. I must have forgotten to deposit this somewhere along the line. Grab it. Put it in my back pocket. I have to go to the bank uh, Saturday after I take Carmine to the barbershop. Great. I'll take this check. Deposit it. So I go through my deposit. I deposit my cash. And now Carmine's running around the bank. He he thinks it's a hoot that you can get you know a free pen at the bank. And it, it was almost empty, the bank. So he's running into some of the empty offices. At one point, he's picking up uh, someone's phone on their desk. So I, I'm hoping this is a quick transaction because, you know, I got to chase after him and take him home. I don't want him destroying the whole bank the way Cecil destroyed $4,000 in cash. So I hand the teller my cash and my check. And then the teller goes and talks with someone else. They point to me. And they have a heavily whispered exchange among the two of them. He comes back, points to the check, and says, Sorry, this check is from, and I look, and sure enough, he's right, November of 2022. It's, not, it's only good for 90 days. We can't deposit this. You have to reach out to them and get them to write you a new check. I said, All right, okay. So I figured maybe this would be an easy process. So what apparently happens is when you have a television show or a movie, you don't pay the people yourself. You outsource it, in this case, to GEP Talent Services, LLC. 
And GEP Talent Services LLC is not really a company. It's more like a, a holding company, I guess. It's, it's just, it exists on paper, basically. You can't call someone and get someone on the phone. So I try to reach this company to ask them to write me a new check. And I, I can't find it. But uh, Rachel sees me doing this yesterday. And she says, it's $6.13 for a check that's over a year old. Eh, just throw it away. So I hate to just throw away $6.13. You know, I mean, that's real money. But I also don't want to spend a substantial amount of time on this. I'm wondering if anyone knows a good way, other than reaching out to the company that wrote this check, which was not helpful. Um, a, A good way, I have the check code, the employee number, um, a good way to get this check made good again. So I get a new $6.13 check because already I've paid taxes on this from 2022. Why shouldn't I get the check? So I don't know. I'm not sure how to handle it. If I can't figure it out today, then I'm just going to do what Rachel suggests and throw this old check away. But I, I hate to literally throw money away just because I didn't get around to depositing this check. I'm curious if you've ever been in a similar position and how you've handled that. 800-848-9222. Certainly welcome to comment on anything else you'd like. Uh, original Rick is in Original Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning. Morning. Good morning. Two, two quick things, okay? First, one, one on the, the Wyoming and the other on Garfield. About the, you, did you say that the myth of Wyoming not existing started with the Simpsons? Did you say no, that? no, Garfield and Friends. Oh, 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 well, it's not true. My grandfather told us that all our life, that Wyoming didn't exist. And we'd say, what are you talking about? And he'd say, have you ever met anyone from Wyoming? Well, that's the, that's the sketch, though. Uh, you know, and again, Mark wrote it. So he says that well, he came well, up well, with it. No, no, no. Well, if, unless he was talking to my grandfather in the 30s and 40s, he told her, the family that he lived in uh, uh, Utah. He owned a small uh, railroad, like uh, Petticoat Junction, you know, the Cannonball Express. And then it, it, went, it went under during the uh, Depression. <clears throat> and, he came, and apparently it's a, a, a rivalry thing out there where U- Utonians don't uh, acknowledge the existence of Wyoming. So he used to perpetuate that through our family. And, and, and even now, even now, the population of Wyoming is just barely over a half a million, the entire state. So back then in the 30s, there was nobody coming from Wyoming to the East Coast. So no one ever knew anyone from Wyoming. And that, that's how he perpetuated it. So you don't buy that it was from Garfield? He, he might have resurrected it or okay. maybe he even came up with it. And just by coincidence. Right, independent. Well, that but, does happen, right? We've seen that. Right, that that right, does right. happen. Of course. Okay. No, no, of course. I just want to let you know that I've been hearing it all my life. Uh, Second of all, yeah. about, about Garfield, I remember waiting for the newspaper to come at midnight. I worked at night shift. And uh, Garfield was not the lovable little chub chub that you see him now. He was literally bordering on sadistic to Odie. Literally. And that was one of the things that kind of made him stand out it was like how does this guy get away with it it he he looked a lot he was a lot thinner oh he was i didn't realize yeah, that. he was he was like a sylvester hmm. and he was not sometimes even you know i would kind of like find it funny like you find the far side funny but 
and there were times even for me it was rough. It's like this border's on animal abuse, you know. It, it wasn't, and then they toned him down to make him more palatable for you know the, the common consumption. I didn't but know if you, that. If, yeah, if you can try to find that. In 1980, I used to wait for the newspaper to come out, and there were times where it was rough. And then I saw him evolve to a fatter, more lovable, you know, kind of like a a rascal rather than a, a demon, you know. And that's, I just thought I'd bring that up. Yeah, I uh, I did not know that. I appreciate that. Thank you uh, for the history lesson there, Rick. You betcha, bro. I right, appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Um, can we play that clip of Garfield talking about Wyoming? This no is from- such place as Wyoming. Think about it. Have you ever met anyone from Wyoming? No, now that you mention it, I don't think I'm Well, there you are. The myth of Wyoming began in the year 1789, when the great explorer and mapmaker Arbuckle Vespucci was designing the United States. Let's see. I'll put the Oklahoma here. Uh, then I'll put the North Dakota here. No, 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 no. Maybe that should be near South Dakota. See? Ha <laughs> That's a good. He had some help from his faithful and handsome cat. You dropped a visa. Oh no! I don't have a room left for those two. Hey, and no sweater. You just put Alaska up here or someplace and stick this Hawaii uh, out here someplace. It's simple. Bellissimo! I have a design of the entire United States. Here's our first incredible... So there you have it. Uh, that's I remember the sketch like it was yesterday. It was very, very clever, I thought. 800-848-9222. Robert's in Manhattan. Hi, Robert. Good morning, Frank. I do know this in Wyoming because I spent six months winter doing part of my frontier factional violence dissertation out there. Wow. It was cold. Yes, I'll tell you that sometime. Let's talk Saturday morning real quick. I go back to the 50s when science fiction was the rule on Saturday morning. Hmm. Tom Corbett, Space Cadet, Space Patrol, so many others. Let's go to the 60s and 70s. How about Captain Video uh, and the Video Rangers? Oh, that was not on Saturday. That was on every night. From 7 to 7.15 or 7.30, or 7.30 on what is now Channel 5, oh. but it was never on Saturday. Let me, now, let me just give you some of my very quick, famous, favorite Saturday morning programs. One of my favorites was H.R. Puffin Stuff, Sid and Marty Croft, so outrageously funny, you would, la- you would die laughing. Another one, I know it was only one season, and you probably liked it too, Animated Trek. I love that. Oh, I still watch it. I watch it with my son. I I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'll give I'll give you two others. One, a series that started in 1994 called Gargoyles, and this is the thing about Gargoyles. If you look at Gargoyles, half the cast you will recognize right from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jonathan Frake, uh, uh, Marina Sirtis, uh, Michael. uh, What's uh, the guy who played Worf? Right, marvelous. My all-time favorite, yes, Michael Dorn, my all-time favorite Saturday morning series, The Perils of Penelope Pitstop. For anyone who remembers the great cliffhanger serials of the 30s and 40s, this was incredible. The, 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 the poor Penelope was being hounded by the evil hooded claw, who I believe was played by Paul Fries. What a voice he had. And she was protected by this bunch of guys called the Anthill Mob. And it, but it was serial cliffhangers all over the place. And if you've never seen it, you should try, you should try to uh, get it. I, 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 you know, I wish. Oh, and one other series I want to tell you about very quickly. 
Burgess Meredith narrated a series called Korg 70,000 BC, and it was an intelligent look at what cavemen must have had to deal with. And forget Raquel Welch and one million, none of that nonsense. It was what cavemen had to put up with every day in hunting, in, in meeting other cave people. I mean, it was intelligent. And you know what? It only lasted one season. Wow. I like that. That's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, I, I have not heard of that, but I love Burgess Meredith, obviously. And uh, that sounds like it's right up my alley. Well, you know, again, there were so many educational programs. One of the programs that I liked that was a Saturday. Do you know that there were even animated, not animated, but there were adventures, westerns, two of them. Did you know there was an animated Lone Ranger series? At CBS that I did know. I've seen that year? one, actually. Yes, and did you know that there was, of course, one of my favorite Saturday morning programs was The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin, which was a wonderful series because it was both for adults. It really showed you the history of the West from the point of view of an orphan boy who was taken in by a cavalry company at Fort Apache in Arizona. And it was just wonderful. The music was wonderful. I mean, there was just something about Saturday morning that was wholesome and educational. And unfortunately, oh, one other thing. Did you ever see the Indiana, young Indiana Jones chronicle? I have, yes. I enjoyed that. Very, you know. Again, I I hope you'll have the gentleman back again. No doubt about it. Interview. Absolutely, because I, I I could talk to him for hours yeah. about Crusader Rabbit and the fifties and all that good stuff. All right, hey Robert, thank you for the call. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Bernie is on uh, Staten Island. Hello, Bernie. Hello. I have a few things to tell you. One, I'm about the same age as Elvis. We were both 89. I was born about a month before Elvis. Wow, okay. Happy birthday. About Elvis, uh, his great-great-great-grandmother was Jewish. When uh, Elvis uh, was very close to his mother, I think her name was Gladys. When she died, Elvis uh, uh, designed her tombstone. On the right-hand side, it had a crucifix. On the left-hand side, it has a Jewish star. That's one. The second thing I have to mention is um, Wyatt Earp. When Wyatt Earp was a was a lawman in Tombstone and in Dodge City, a girl from uh, New York came to see him. Uh, she wanted adventure. She remained his wife all through his life. Uh, she was. Oh, her parents were Orthodox Jews. She, uh, I think her name was Garber or Garver. Well, when they moved at the, at the end of their lives, near the end of their lives, they moved to California and went uh, to Hollywood. They had a small house there. And uh, when, uh, when Wyatt was, uh, was close to death in the, in the 20s, he became a consultant to the studio. He taught the people who played cowboys. That's right, including John that, Wayne. That cowboys. He taught them how to shoot, how to ride a horse, etc. When Wyatt Earp died uh, in 1929, he uh, he was buried in the Jewish cemetery next to his wife. 
Oh, yeah. that. See, I didn't know that. Uh, I knew that he died in 1929. I knew he was a consultant. I did not know that he uh, was uh, was buried in a uh, Jewish cemetery. But I learned something. Bernie, thank you. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Baltimore. Jeff, you have a suggestion on this check? Hi, Frank. I do. Why don't you just uh, deposit them all in line? Take a picture and you can deposit it that way. You know, that's what my wife does. I I don't even know how to do that, honestly. I mean, I I am like straight out of 1985 in terms of my banking. I, I do everything still in person, but, um, uh, you know, and I go to a small bank, so maybe my bank, they do have online banking, but it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that my wife's uh, online okay. banking does. But maybe I'll have to do that. So. You just take a picture and you can just deposit it through your the app. Is that how it goes? Yes, yes. And when it comes to phones and computers, I'm from 1945. <laughs> so if I could figure it out, you could figure it out. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, you've made me feel bad. Maybe I do have to do it. You know what I also feel like? I feel like when I'm going in the bank, and especially if I take my son, I feel like he's learning something a little bit about the banking. At least he's learning that you get free pens. But I feel like by doing the banking in person that maybe I'm helping to keep someone's job there. Kind of like I don't use the self-checkout at the supermarket if there's any other any other path available because, you know, I don't want those people to get fired. I like the I like dealing with humans, not not computers, nothing against computers. All right. Um, 800-848-9222. The Golden Globes were last night. Did you see any of it? I saw a bit of it. I'll give you my take, and uh, we'll tell you what the what the key takeaways were, at least from my perspective. Sort of underwhelming, but I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest version and invite you to comment as well. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Got pass in pocket. Got battle. I am gonna use it. Intention. I'm feeling my tail. Gonna make you, make you, make you notice. Got motion. This is the Pretenders, Brass in the Pocket. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the program, just join our Facebook group. Just search uh, Murano Radio Fans and Haters, uh, Murano Radio Fans and Haters, and you can... um, you know, you could take a look at what some of the things that we're people are talking about with respect to the show, and you can learn about all the music that we're playing on the show. So last night was the Golden Globes. I have to tell you, I've always enjoyed the Golden Globes, and I enjoyed it as a child um, and as a young person for primarily for two reasons. When I was growing up, and I'm, I'm sure depending on your age, same with you, there were TV stars. And there were movie stars. Jack Nicholson, movie star. Ted Danson, TV star. 
right? I mean, Bob Newhart, TV star, right? Uh, James Earl Jones, movie star. You get it. Okay. So the Golden Globes was, at the time, now a few different awards shows do this, but at the time it was the only awards ceremony that honored both TV and movies. And it was so neat to, it almost felt like, a crossover episode of Simps of um, of uh, Flintstones meet the Jetsons, where oh, oh my goodness, you get the TV stars and the movie stars in the same place at the same time. They're interacting with one another now. Again, it's ridiculous, but it was it was a novelty. Also, they got they you know what I've always loved about the Golden Globes is they give you all this free food and drink. The stars get a little buzzed. And so they act kind of silly at times, both in their acceptance speeches as they're walking the red carpet and everything. And uh, it was, you know, it's fun. It's fun. And they did for years what I've been saying that the Academy Awards should be doing. They don't force all the movies to compete in the same category. I mean, should The Hangover, which is a great picture, should that compete with Saving Private Ryan? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, it's, it's laughable. But the way the Academy Awards is structured, that's what you have to do. What the Golden Globes does, which I like, is they have best picture, musical or comedy, and then they have best picture, drama. Makes sense. Makes sense. Oppenheimer should not be competing against Barbie. So anyway, major scandal with the Golden Globes recently. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, this mysterious group which put on the uh, Golden Globes every year, apparently there were no black people no no people of color of any sort in any position to make any decisions with respect to the Hollywood foreign press. That's strike one. Then they, apparently all the people that were the so-called Hollywood foreign press, their, their, their credentials were, shall we say, quite dubious. And they were on the take. If you wanted your movie to win or your TV show to win, you'd send the members of the Hollywood foreign press who no one's ever heard of anyway, you'd send them these lavish gifts and they'd vote for you. So it was corrupt, it was far too white, and it was it was, you know, it was kind of a kind of a fugazi. Okay. So they killed it off. And this last night was the first Golden Globes under this new brand. It's now a for-profit company, it used to be a non-profit, and it's now co-owned by a billionaire. And a media company uh, that owns Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. So I, I watched I, not a lot of this because I, I wanted to try and take a nap. But I did see um, at least a half hour of this. And I guess the best thing that you can say about it is it was watchable. It was not, you know, it was like uh, Dom DeLuise says in History of the World Part 1. It was not thrilling. It was not exciting. But it was watchable. It was watchable. You could say, oh, okay. You know, I, I, um, my wife was a little taken aback by the size and shape of the stage. She thought that was a little weird. Okay, at least they're trying something different. There were many more minorities this year, not only in terms of presenters and winners, but they would find whatever they could. They were clearly cognizant of the fact that they had been criticized for not you know, doing the right thing by minorities previously. So there were many more minorities this year. You know, I think I would have liked it a bit more 
if I had seen more of the films nominated or watched more of the television shows nominated. But basically, it, they were honoring a bunch of television programs and films that not only have I not seen, in most cases, I hadn't even heard of them. So I think that does take you out of it a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons the viewership has declined. Last year's viewership was 6.3 million. So they're saying that if they do better than that, then it's back. Then that's the story. It'll be back. I can't believe both Steve Martin and Martin Short lost in the best actor television musical or comedy category. One of them should have won for Only Murders in the Building. They didn't. Um, I thought the host, who apparently was picked at the last minute, and he even joked about this, and I understand this because I've been in this position where you have to MC something at the last minute, Joe Coy, I thought he was mediocre at best. I, I didn't find him funny at all. And again, he joked around about this, that he was picked 10 days ago, and it, you know, don't be judging too harshly. Okay. But I, I don't know why they had to pick somebody at the last minute. I don't know why they couldn't pick someone... Um, and give them a little bit of time to prepare. So that was interesting. Uh, Taylor Swift was there. Uh, the host poked fun at uh, Taylor Swift. Um, one of the things that bothers me about this show, and the Academy Awards as well, and a lot of these award shows, they're not on radio. Because I would have liked to, on the radio, listen as I was driving into work. You can't do it. I just I don't understand why they don't put these on radio somewhere. There was no political talk, which on the one hand was kind of refreshing, on the other hand was kind of boring. You know, the political talk, at least people can gasp. They can say, hey, or they can, at least it's unexpected. No in memoriam, no big production numbers. So my take was it was, eh, my take. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.